Hello, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Fintech Cafe, a live show that takes place every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on Clubhouse with a live audience. You're listening to a recorded session. This is episode 41, and it's a special episode for two reasons. First, we're celebrating International Women's Day. And second, we have two guests for this discussion. First, we have the founder and CEO of Goalsetter, Tanya Vencourt, who is joined by the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer of U.S. Bank, Gregory Cunningham. In this special episode, we'll discuss Tanya and Goalsetter's journey within the fintech space, and we will also discuss U.S. Bank's investment and partnership with Goalsetter. Before we start, two reminders. Fintech Cafe is a passion project that we created with an intention to cultivate a community of thought leadership within the fintech space. Our employers are not associated with the show Fintech Cafe, and we're not endorsing any products and certainly not providing any investment advice. If you like more information on our show, or if you're interested in jobs at fintech companies that we host, we welcome you to check out our website, fintechcafe.org. With that, let's kick off with introductions. We're very excited to start today. My name is Ambika Sharma. I'm a product manager within the fintech space. I've been involved within finance for about a decade and I've worked in the United States, Europe, and Latin America. I'll pass the baton over to my co-host for her introduction. Well, thank you, but I'm even more excited because I see Tanya in the audience. Tanya, I have in- sent an invite to you to speak, so hopefully we can pull you up on stage. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us. I am so sorry to be late. My clubhouse had to update the app, and so it took a little <laughs> bit longer than I expected. My apologies. Not at all. Thanks for joining us. We just started with introductions, and very excited to have you and Greg today join us. Would you like to provide a brief introduction? Sure, I'm happy to. First of all, I'm happy to be anywhere that Greg Cunningham is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for the invite. Hi, everyone. I'm Tanya Van Court. I'm the CEO and founder of Goalsetter. Goalsetter is a savings, financial education, smart spending, and investing platform created for the entire family. And I am um, just really honored to be here today and, and have you all, again, have Greg and I uh, share this panel together. Very excited to have you, Greg, just doing the round, finish up with you. I know Ambika already mentioned, but would love to hear from you directly. Well, thank you, Monisha. I think that was you, but it is also my pleasure to, to share the stage with Tanya and certainly to be invited by you and Ambika to the FinTech Cafe. It's really exciting. And I, more than anything, I'm just really honored to be part of this panel, particularly during Women's History Month and a day after International Women's Day, and just to be able to share my perspective on why this was such an important partnership for U.S. Bank. So I'm pleased to be with you guys this evening and excited for the conversation. Thanks for that, Sarah. Greg, so just in terms of the format, we'll start with some set of questions around the founding story with Tanya um, and the product offerings, and then we'll lead from there into the partnership uh, between U.S. Bank and Gold Center. All right. Tanya, so jumping right into our questions, you are the founder of Goal Setter, launched in 2016. You have been on quite the ride, including appearing on Shark Tank, winning the FDIC version of a hackathon. And then more recently, congratulations, you reached 
you raised Series A at uh, 15 million and with the goal uh, to expand into a new vertical as well. You're growing and flourishing. Could you share your founding story with us? I'm happy to, Monisha. You know, when people ask me my founding story, for, for many people, that founding story is like a single light bulb moment. But for me, I really believe that my founding story was the culmination of a lifetime of stories. And it really started with me being born in Oakland, California, to a mom who was an elementary school teacher, a mom of six kids who used to bring home more kids on the weekends. And that was my role model. That was what success looked like to me. That was what character looked like to me. And so I lived my life trying to fill those shoes, shoes that consistently bridged gaps and uh, built bridges in uh, communities that needed her most. I eventually went to Stanford, got a couple degrees in engineering, came out of Stanford and had a bunch of interesting jobs. But when I was in my late 20s, I worked in Silicon Valley. And I was at a company that's a startup company. I got a bunch of stock and stock options and had no idea what to do with them. In spite of these two degrees that were really tough to get from one of the hardest, pur purportedly hardest institutions in the country, I had no idea about personal finance. I didn't know what stock options were. I didn't know how they worked. I didn't know what stock was. I didn't know what the tax implications were. I didn't know any of that. And so I didn't do anything with the stock or the stock options. And then in 2001, the big tech bubble burst. And that stock that had been doing so well at this company that I worked at was worth about a million dollars at the beginning of the day. And by the end of the day, it was worth about $20,000. And I remember staring at my computer thinking, what goes down must come up. I mean, is that the way that old <laughs> adage goes? <laughs> and of course, it, it, it didn't go that way. And so my next thought was, well, Tanya, that was really bad. But I can't turn back the hands of time. All I can do is make sure that never happens to my own kids. And so fast forward five years, I had my first daughter, Gabrielle, and I started teaching her about money from the time that she came, you know, almost out of the womb. And when she was eight, about to turn nine, she said, Mommy, for my ninth birthday, I really only want two things. And I said, what's that? And she said, enough money to save for an investment account and a bike. And in that moment, I thought to myself, if I can get every kid to say that, I can change the world. And so I never wanted to be a startup founder. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I did really want to change the world. And that, that memory of my mother and those, those footsteps that my mother had, had paved for me. And so I left my big corporate gigs. I had been at Nickelodeon. I had been at ESPN. I had been at Discovery Education and went to Start Goal Setter because I thought that I could uniquely bring something to this space that the space needed. Thanks for sharing that story. So a relatively low risk career at Nickelodeon, and then you take this path of entrepreneurship and you've come this far. How did you convince yourself that this was the path to take and knowing what you were going to be faced with? <laughs> well, well, that's the problem, Monisha. I did not know. And had I known, <laughs> had I known, I absolutely would not be sitting here tonight. I promise you that that is really the truth. This has been the hardest job of my career, and I've had really challenging jobs. I didn't have cushy jobs. I didn't have jobs where, you know, I could coast. I had jobs with big challenges and lots of people and, and you know, that required a lot from me. But this path has required sacrifice from a financial perspective, from a personal perspective. It's required sacrifice on the part of my kids, on the part of my husband, and on the part of me, most of all, me personally. It's been really grueling. 
And so, you know, not knowing, but believing that this was the path that I was meant to be on because I could change the world for so many people in ways that I couldn't necessarily in corporate America in, in, the, in the spaces that I was operating in. That's what led me to be here, not knowing and, and, and yet believing. Yeah, that seems to be a bit of a thread with founders who have that emotional connection with what they believe in, because there's a certain degree of naivety, I think, uh, that helps uh, in, in the hope to change the world. Yeah. Uh, so shifting gears a little bit into the growth at Goalsetter, environmentally COVID spurred a pivot to digital adoption and, you know, kids the use of cash uh, for kids in terms of allowance shifted and instead parents are finding newer ways to provide them that virtual wallet. So how has your experience been in this environment when the sort of mass shift to digital has happened? Well, it's a great question. And the interesting thing is I think the shift to digital happened pre-COVID, right? I mean, People, we were already in a, a very cashless environment pre-COVID, but families were the last bastion of cash. And so, you know, I would come home from work and my five-year-old then would say, hey, mommy, I did my chores. Can I have my $5 in allowance, right? Or my daughter who's in high school would say, hey, mom, do you have 20 bucks? I need to, you know, go get, go buy a book after school or whatever it was. And so those those shifts were already happening where as a parent, I, I operated in an adult cashless environment. And then I walked into my home and I was like, what, what is going on here? Where's all, where are all these requests for cash coming from? So I think that happened pre-COVID. But what, what happened during COVID that I think was different is that America woke up in terms of the financial um, precariousness that so many families live in. And, you know, understanding that people who had pre-existing conditions, people who had asthma, people who had diabetes could not say, hey, I'm going to sit out this the first three months of the pandemic until we all kind of figure out what's what and figure out if the vaccine's coming because I'm worried about losing my life when I show up in that grocery store or when I show up as an Amazon driver. I'm worried about losing my life and I'm going to sit out. They couldn't do that because 40% of Americans don't have $400 saved in an emergency fund. So they certainly don't have three months of expenses saved in an emergency fund. And I think that was the shift that I saw that really impacted us during COVID, parents found that they were in a precarious situation themselves and they didn't want their kids to ever have to live through that. And so they said, look, I've got to get my financial house in order and I want my kids to live a different experience than the experience that I've had to live in this pandemic. So Tanya, just to gear toward product offerings and how you're helping, you know, change America, you have a savings account that you provide. It's called Kashola. Can you tell us a little bit about your product offering offerings and then also customer? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we really do think about ourselves as, you know, people talk a lot about the, the finance super app, but we're the family finance super app. We are literally the most fully featured family finance app in the industry. And so we have everything from a savings account for kids and families. And the reason I say in families is because, you know, one of the things that we found is that adults had their kids using Goal Setter and they said, 
wow, I love using this product so much with my kids that I actually want to use it for myself too. I want to use it to save for my own goals. I want to use it to learn financial education. So we have savings accounts and, and goal-oriented savings accounts for any member of the family. We have debit cards also for any member of the family. So our debit card is the cashola card, but it comes with a groundbreaking rule called learn before you burn. So as a parent, you can activate this rule and your kid's debit card will automatically freeze on Sunday morning if they haven't taken their financial literacy quiz for the week yet. And once they take that quiz, the card will unfreeze again. Speaking of financial literacy quizzes, we have financial education, through our financial literacy quizzes, kindergarten all the way through 12th grade and adults too, mapped at every single level, it, 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 specifically for that grade level, but all rooted in memes and gifs from popular culture. And so when Beyonce says, can you pay my bills? Can you pay my telephone bills? We use that to explain. Beyonce wouldn't need anyone to pay her bills if she would just save for an emergency fund. Three to six months of her expenses, Beyonce could pay for her own bills. We have investment accounts. Our investment accounts also come with parental controls. So a, a teenager can place a trade and they can buy $5 in Nike stock. So you can buy fractional shares or whole shares, fractional ETFs or whole ETFs. But when they buy that share, a request goes to their parent and their parent can either approve or decline that re request. And we also have education mode on the app where uh, they can click a button if there's a term they don't understand and a short TikTok-like video will pop up, explain that term, give them quizzes to help them understand and test their knowledge about that term. And we have allowance and we have goal cards instead of gift cards. So family members and friends can gift you or your kids real money towards real dreams instead of 20 different gift cards on a birthday or holiday that just encourages your kids to be consumers goal cards let them save towards something that is meaningful to them save towards a goal we have the ability for extended family to contribute to kids goals through what we call family circle so grandma or favorite auntie or favorite uncle can round up their debit card purchases and contribute to your kids goals we have allowance and round i'm sorry auto save and roundups that adults can participate in so they can easily save towards their own goals or towards their kids goals too so as you can see you know that's why i describe us as a super app because literally when you drop goal setter into a family it takes the entire family cashless but it also does so in a way that is financially responsible and doesn't just stick a debit card into your kids hands and say here this is learning financial responsibility that's not learning financial responsibility when you're learning about saving and investing that's how we're going to transform our kids from consumers into savers and investors Nice. So you have content by age, you're using memes, TikTok, very interactive. At work, you know, we have Teams, Microsoft Teams we use, and I prefer to use speak using Giphys. So, and it's, it, it seems to work. It seems to get my point across and actually like <laughs> writing essays. So I think that, that concept is effective. So good for you. The next question I have was, you mentioned that you've just recently launched also an invest portion. Is that a, a different interpretation of college 529 accounts or is it a true brokerage account? It's a true brokerage account. Yeah. So 529 accounts we haven't launched because there are tax implications state by state. And we didn't want to launch a 529 account from one state that disadvantages someone who's using it in another state. But we do think that what we're trying to do is create financial freedom for families. And what that means to us is when we can teach at the youngest of ages in the household to the oldest of ages in the household, when we can teach 
what it means to invest, why investing is different from saving, how you can have a diversified portfolio, what asset allocation is, when we can teach about the rule of 72 and you know how long it will take you to double your money. When we can teach these core concepts, we're setting people up for success, for financial success for their whole lives, as opposed to setting them up to be a slave to the economic system of consumerism that will make them poor while everyone else gets rich. And so, you know, we thought investment accounts were really important because they're important, not just for the kids and family, but in so many instances for the adults too. Right, certainly. I mean, capitalism is such a pivotal aspect of the American society. And I find it so odd that we don't even teach our citizens how to speak financially. So I think what you're doing, there's something to this. And I think it's also for adults, not just kids. So it makes sense why you're calling it an educational app for the whole family. Absolutely. I want to switch now to your fundraising experience. And I want to also pull in Greg. The first question is to you. What's your philosophy around CapTable? How has your experience been? Just curious. Before you answer, I should level set the audience. Tanya has been on Shark Tank a few years ago. She went and she wanted to raise $200,000 in return for 4% stake in Goalsetter. She was offered $200,000 by Kevin O'Leary at Shark Tank, but he wanted 25% of the company. And that implies a valuation of 800K. I'm, I have no stake in Goalsetter, but as an observer, I find that to be offensive. So just curious, Tanya, how has your fundraising experience been? Wow. Well, listen, you know, we're in Women's um, History Month. You know, yesterday was Women and Women's International History Day. And, and I think that one of the most important things for us all to realize by virtue of, you know, this month that we're in is when we talk about less than 2% of venture funding goes to women and less than 1% goes to African-American women, those aren't just statistics in a white paper or a report somewhere. Those are real people. Those are real people who literally, you know, as a woman and as an African-American woman in particular, you know, I literally, that means, had to pitch to, you know, 100 people for every two people that my counterparts had to pitch to. And by the way, another way to look at that is for every $100 they got, I got less than $1. And that literally is how it played out. And it's part of the naivete, as we talked about when I entered this space, thinking, wow, you know, they say <laughs> it's easier to be an entrepreneur and easier to fundraise if you've, if you've gone to a place like Stanford. Okay, check, well, I've gone to a place like Stanford. If you have degrees in engineering, okay, great. I have not only one, I've, I've got two degrees in engineering. If you have, you know, success prior to that. Well, I wasn't an entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur and I actually launched companies and, and launched major products. ESPN3 was my product at ESPN. ESPN3 was the first digital video streaming player in the entire cable industry before HBO Now and HBO Go. So all of that is to say, you know, I was, I, I had a, a wealth of background in, in lots of things that should have made it easier for me to raise money. And yet it wasn't, it was very difficult. And in fact, by the time I had raised my first million dollars, 88% of that money had come from black people, brown people and women. And so if that's any indication of the fact that the people who had the most money, you know, white male VCs predominantly, uh, white male angels predominantly, they weren't investing in me. And in fact, they told me that kids finance was not a venture backable category. And you know, I'm stubborn and I, I, I thought otherwise. And, 
And so I kept going. And within a couple of years, I found that there were lots of white male led companies that were getting millions of dollars in this category that was purportedly not venture backable. And so I went back to many of those same folks and I said, look, I don't understand. You told me this category wasn't venture backable. Now there's this company, this company that are both getting millions of dollars. You should fund Goal Setter. We have a great product and you know we, we're gonna do amazing things. And then I heard, well, now you have well-funded competitors. No one's gonna possibly fund you now. And so the hypocrisy of Silicon Valley to you know, see innovation, early innovation in a company like Goal Setter, reject innovation when it comes from a woman, when it comes from a person of color, decide that innovation is true innovation only when it comes from a white male, fund them so precipitously that they try to block everybody else out of the market, and then come back to someone like me and say, well, sorry, now there's no path forward for you. You know, that is the part that is, has been really trying and really, really frustrating to me, not just because of Goal Setter, but because, you know, there are so many tropes about America and that America is, you know, the land of the opportunity. But that's not opportunity. That's, in fact, quite the antithesis of opportunity. And that's what needs to change. Well, I'm going to ask Greg to weigh in. Greg, you, how did you come across Goal Setter? How did you find this opportunity? I have a whole set of questions for you, but we'll start with that. Yeah, thank you. You know, Vika, it's, the, the short story is that Tanya had met, and she can probably tell that part of the story better than I can, but it was actually a member of our U.S. Bank team brought Tanya and Goal Setter to my attention right after we had launched our, we were in the process of launching our sort of bank-wide initiative to, to close racial wealth disparities. And, you know, that in, in the wake of George Floyd's murder, which happened right here in Minneapolis and literally roughly three miles from our headquarters in downtown Minneapolis at U.S. Bank, you know, we were sort of trying to think of how we could be different as a financial institution and how we wanted to show up in this whole conversation around social justice and this 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 reckoning that was happening and you know for us you know looking at these racial wealth disparities and just wealth disparities in general that are absolutely abysmal like we we came to the you know to the the resolution that the financial services industry has really been complicit in actually creating these disparities that we're all trying to solve for i mean if you look throughout our nation's history you know, the industry really has, has played a role in creating these disparities. So that sort of reckoning was a really important part, Ambika, of the journey for us. And so we realized that in order to close wealth disparities, there are, there are a few ways that wealth in this country actually gets created. One of the most important ones is through small business and small business growth. And so we decided one of the things that we would focus on, in addition to home ownership and some other things, was not only this notion of supporting and capitalizing small businesses, but we wanted to do, everybody does place-based investment. Lots of organizations and banks in particular invest in geographies and they pour money into communities and hope that that sort of revitalizes the, the local economy and it spurs growth. But what we wanted to do was people-based investments. And when I met Tanya and she told me her story as an entrepreneur, a successful executive, more importantly, as a mom, 
her story just resonated so deeply with me that we didn't even really have a, a, a robust sort of private equity strategy as it related to our DEI efforts. But this was really the first time that we, through our DEI work, said we need to make an investment. And so, you know, I, the, the short answer, because this was a, a people-based investment for me, we're investing in a leader. And I think more companies need to think about it that way. Because so often when you're investing in companies, particularly in early stage, whether it's VC or, or even on the private equity side, you're actually investing in the people. You're actually investing in the management team, in the leader, the founder. And this was a person I felt in listening to her story, understanding the statistics um, that Tanya just shared with you in terms of the, 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 the inequity that happens in investing in women-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses. Like this was a good way for us to prove ourselves that we weren't just talking like other banks were talking with these, you know, $10 billion commitment to social justice. <laughs> over that doesn't mean anything to anybody. If you can't sort of pinpoint, you know, leaders like Tanya and, and, and real people and making real change in people's lives and investing in entrepreneurs who are just trying to make payroll, who are just trying to create one more job in their business, like those are the kinds of investments we want to make. And, you know, we're continuing to do that and we're going to measure it. And, you know, we can we can keep talking about that. But I think the important thing here is you actually have to focus on outcomes and people who are doing work that are driving outcomes and not just activity. Yeah, I mean, that's six years of heavy rejection. So, Tanya, your grit is I don't know what if there is a word for more than celebration, but it's definitely inspirational. So thank <laughs> you for saying put. Well, and yes, go I, ahead. no, I was just going to say thank you, Ambika, because, you know, it's it's wonderful to just be recognized at this moment, at this moment where we have achieved some considerable success. But the truth of the matter is the thanks goes to people like Greg Cunningham, because we could not have done this alone. We, we you know, th this journey has been so long because we had to do it alone for so many years. And mm -hmm. we have to stop starving women-led companies and, and minority-led companies and then asking, how much progress have you made? How much progress have you made? You know, my retort is, well, how much yeah. progress would you make with two nickels to rub together, <laughs> right? Yeah. right? Probably not that much. You're not going to make a blazing fire with your two nickels to rub together. And mm -hmm. so the thanks goes to U.S. Bank and the thanks goes to Greg Cunningham and the thanks goes to, you know, leaders like that who are saying we're going to make a real difference. So now, Tanya, you have Series A, 15 million. Greg, my question is, what is U.S. Bank's Access Commitment Fund? Because when you were speaking, you mentioned mm -hmm. Access Commitment Fund. Could, you, could we double click on that? What's the investment thesis? What can we expect more? Yeah. So our Access Fund, um, because there are a couple of different components to it. One of them I mentioned briefly, but I'll talk about now. Their impact is actually going to be, it's a multi-year commitment. And, you know, since we've invested in Goal Center, we're actually, you know, have built I think some greater muscle around how we want to think about private equity and how we're going to put the right governance and, and risk management around it. And so we, we're making this multi-year commitment and we've actually just recently announced some investment in a couple of minority-owned uh, private equity funds as a way for us to continue to, to sort of service 
small businesses. And so there's there's that part of it, but it will also sort of make investments, not only in organizations like Tanya's on the FinTech side, but you know things like affordable housing and things that are really critical to build infrastructure and community. That's one part of the access fund. The other part of the access fund is really a, a you know multi-million dollar investment in community development financial institutions because most small businesses aren't aren't necessarily like Tanya and have the you know the capacity and capability to put together smart business plans and understand investment strategies and all that. Ninety eight percent of and I'll just use this as an example, ninety-eight percent of all the black owned small businesses in this country are sole proprietorships, meaning the only employee is the founder. And, you know, in many cases, you know, most small businesses don't understand how to build business plans. They don't understand technology. They don't understand how to build sound financial plans, which means that they can't walk into a U.S. bank and get a business. They're not investable from, from that perspective for a U.S. bank. So these CDFIs, these community development financial institutions are a critical third party in this conversation. And so by capitalizing them, and so we just invested about $20 million into CDFIs across the country, three big ones in particular, who actually have more lenient sort of credit policies and practices so that they can actually flow capital to these small businesses. And not only flow capital, but the important thing here, um, because not only do small businesses need capital, but they actually need networks and they need to understand marketing and they need technical assistance. And so you have to surround these entrepreneurs with you know, this critical ecosystem of support that they so desperately need because most organizations think just by being able to, to flow resources to them that they're gonna be successful, which I think is part of what Tanya was saying. There's a whole ecosystem um, that comes with it. And we know the way successful business is done in this country is through networks. It's who you know. It's done on the golf course. It's done at happy hour. It's done at all these social places and spaces that oftentimes women and people of color have left out. We don't belong to the right country clubs. We're not invited to happy hours. We're not, you know, we're not in the foursome on the golf course. Those things just don't happen. And so we're sort of locked out of these critical conversations where the deals are being made. And so these CDFIs and funding these CDFIs is a critical way for us to get capital but also to help create this, this whole ecosystem of support that, that's necessary. The other thing I will mention, um, because since you asked the question, because I think it's an important um, proof point as well, you know, minority deposit institutions are a critical piece of this. And we actually just partnered with a number of other um, banks, big banks here in the Twin Cities, to actually bring a Black-owned bank to the Minneapolis um, area. Which and I, and I bring that up because you know, this notion of how we can create a much broader ecosystem. So we need large banks, we need small banks, we need credit unions, we need CDFIs, we need all of this critical financial infrastructure to support, you know, this small business universe that's out there that's so often been shut out of the resources that are required. So long answer to your question, but I think some good opportunity for me to point out some things that we think are critical to, to driving success. Thanks for sharing that building up that ecosystem to support right, the infrastructure, which builds that inclusivity. I think, Greg, that you often refer to as the verb. 
so shifting gears, we have the two sides of a partnership here, right, Greg, from US Bank and Tanya from Gold Setter's point of view. We did learn about the eight-week pilot that Gold Setter ran. Could you uh, share, Greg, starting with you and then maybe Tanya on your side, how you go about setting up a partnership like this? How do you deliver on a proof of concept and where does that go uh, from there? Yeah, I'll tell you from, from my perspective, Manisha, I, you know, it, we, we have to look at opportunities like Goal Setter and partnerships with, with entrepreneurs like Tanya, not as a diversity initiative. It's actually a great business opportunity for U.S. Bank. And, you know, part of my, you know, I guess my 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 plan and, and my goal is to actually get companies to understand that inclusion is actually a catalyst for business growth. Like get rid of the word diversity. Like this is not a diversity initiative. This is actually a great opportunity for us to think differently about our organization. And so part of this pilot and, you know, me wanting to do this pilot and my team wanting to do it was to actually involve more of the bank to understand the value of goal setter. Because ultimately, I want our chief digital officer and I want our chief technology officer to have a same, the same relationship with Tanya that I do. And they see her as a critical partner in their business, not as a diverse initiative or something that's part of the access commitment. And so we, over an eight-week period, piloted with about 200, a little over 200 um, some employees to really use the Goal Setter app. And these were employees across all of our resource groups at every level of the company, across 30 states across the country. And at the end of the pilot, I mean, the success was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, more than, I think it's over 90% of the employees said that they preferred, you know, using the Goal Setter app versus, you know, other modalities of learning of financial inclusion. So that was a powerful statement. And a, a huge preponder in like three quarters of all of our participants said that they plan to continue using Goal Setter. So we know it works, right? To Tanya's point earlier, like we know, we, we know that, you know, applications like Goal Setter work, we just need to create opportunity. So we're really excited about it. We're excited about expanding upon it. And again, my, my, my aim here, Bonisha, was really to make sure that we position Tanya and Goal Setter as an incredible business opportunity for U.S. Bank, not necessarily something that's exclusive to some DEI, you know, objective that we're trying to meet. Great. Thank you, Greg. And Tanya, would love to hear your perspective on how you approach partnerships with financial institutions and specifically reference the pilot. Well, you know, what Greg said about goal setters should not be perceived as a DEI initiative is exactly what we thought was important to prove out in this pilot. We have said for a long time, goal setter is just as good for, you know, the the wealthy mom or dad as it is for the wealth seeking mom or dad. It's just as good for a kid who's 16 years old as it is for a kid who's six years old. We have developed this platform truthfully with a lens of how do we imbue financial tools and financial education with fun and gamification and entertainment 
And you can't show me a family in America who wants old, boring financial tools or financial education and doesn't want to be able to take to their kids something that feels current and fresh and new. There's not a family in America who we don't speak to. And so this pilot was truly important so that we could demonstrate to the entire industry that you know, these were all kinds of employees at U.S. West, mm -hmm. at, at U.S. Bank, right? These were mm -hmm. all kinds of employees who said, you know, we had a dad on there who had a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. And he chuckled about how, you know, now he's gotten his 13-year-old to take a shower and clean out the cat litter box <laughs> because of Goal Setter. And so his house smells a lot better because of our platform. We had a, a, a grandmother of a five-year-old who said, you know, that her kid, her granddaughter loves taking our quizzes and begs for them every week. And so what was so important to us is that, you know, we've been saying all along, look, I come from a background that is broad based. I was at Nickelodeon. We spoke to every family in America. I was at ESPN. We spoke to every family in America. I was at Discovery Education. We educated every family in America. Why can't I create a product that appeals to every family in America. Well, the truth is I can, but I just needed the chance to show that. And, and the, that's what this pilot gave us the opportunity to do, to demonstrate that and to hear directly from those US Bank employees about how much they valued this platform. And you know, just to, to cap off on some of those statistics, 92% said that they valued Goal Setter as an employee benefit at the end of the pilot. 92% said that they preferred Goal Setter over classroom learning about financial education. When you can get those kinds of numbers from this broad-based audience, that's when you know you really have something successful that's changing people's lives. And, and that's what we were looking for. Great. Thank you for sharing that. I know uh, we're going to ask one more question and open up for audience questions. So Tanya, for you, you know, what is, uh, now that you've secur secured your Series A and then the partnership with Pfizer, how are you thinking about growth for Goal Setter and what's the plan with the Sure. So Goal Setter is all about partnerships. We love this partnership with U.S. Bank. I, I got to tell you, I love all of the, the employees I've met at U.S. Bank, not just Greg Cunningham and, and Maxine Swain, but I mean, every person we've worked with has just been phenomenal. And so, so we, we are all about partnerships. We want to partner with more banks, more financial institutions, more community credit unions. We want to partner with employers who are providing Goal Setter as an employee benefit in the same way that U.S. Bank did. They, they might not be in the financial services space. They can be, you know, an employer anywhere in America who can do that. And so we're all about partnerships. And, and I want to explain the reason why we're about partnerships. The reason why we're about partnerships is because if we don't partner with the banks and financial institutions of the world to help them cultivate their next generation of customers, then that next generation of customers is all going to end up being served out of some Silicon Valley FinTech. And guess mm -hmm. what? I, that's not what I want in my community. I want U.S. Bank in my community. I want people like Greg who care about the community and are reinvesting in the community and are you know, putting money into the schools and are caring mm -hmm. for the wealth gap. That's what I want in my community. And so we believe in partnership because we believe that partnership fuels the kinds of 
businesses in communities that matter and make a difference and that make communities vibrant. And that's what banks that have a heart and a conscious and a soul like U.S. Bank do. And that's why these partnerships are so important to us. So that's where we're focused now. So much love for U.S. Bank. I love it. Well, Greg, this is recorded. So your PR team will love it. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's always... It's always a good opportunity to play stuff back like this for my boss. So it's good. It's good. I, I need everything I can get. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell him to call me. Just yeah, tell yeah, him to call me, Greg. Go. I got you on that time. Because it's all true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's all the time I think we get to ask you questions. We have 15 minutes left of the show, so we'll like to open up to the audience. So if you are new to the Club, Clubhouse platform, and I see a lot of party hats, there are two ways to come up and ask your questions. There is an icon, a hand icon on the bottom right. If you click on that, Manisha and I, were moderators, we can bring you up. Or if you're not in a quiet place, you can also send us your question. There's an airplane icon. If you click on that, you can access uh, me or Manisha and you can send us your question and we'll read it on your behalf. A reminder that today's call is recorded. So when you come on stage, please say your name, where you're dialing in from, and then share your thoughts, but try to keep it brief. So with that, Sean, you're on stage. Go ahead. The floor yeah. is yours. Thank you. This is Sean Scott, and I'm from Minneapolis. So we're right close to Greg, I think, and Munisha for that, for that matter. You know, great story, Tanya. Thank you for sharing it. As I think, as Munisha and Embika both said, I don't think uh, grit is sort of the right, def you know, I, I don't think quite sort of really sort of describes uh, your journey, but I'm, I'm glad you're, you're here to share it. I think one thing that I, my question is more of a product question. And, you know, I've been on a, on a few of these shows, and I think one of the things that you sort of pointed out is a gap that I see in a lot of sort of, I would say, uh, fintech apps and even, you know, sort of financial institutions, which is the the, the, the financial education part of it, and you know, kudos to you for making it uh, engaging with with memes. The question there for is, have you ever thought about sort of, you know, almost sort of content as a service when it comes to the financial uh, education part uh, of your uh, of your app? Yeah, thanks so much for the question, Sean. We have thought a little bit about content as a service, but you know, the truth of the matter is that. You know, because what we're offering is such an integrated experience, we actually think that it's more important for families to, to get the whole experience. And so if I've got a poor, you know, if I've got a limited money <laughs> amount of funding, as we all know by now, I do. <laughs> so if I've got a limited amount of funding that I have to focus in a particular area, am I going to focus on creating a content as a service business or am I going to focus on creating a robust app that has both the tools and the content that can change lives. And so let me just give you an example, right? We're the only ones who have this groundbreaking feature, Learn Before You. And I believe that's critically important, right? We had an intern last year who I, I reached out to her a couple months ago and I said, hey, Chloe, have you been taking your financial education quizzes with your Cashola card? And she said, of course, Miss Tanya, because my card turns off on Sunday morning if I don't take my quizzes. <laughs> now, Chloe also happens to like our quizzes and think they're engaging, but she's a 16 year old who has plenty of other stuff to do in her life. I can go and you know focus on content as a service or I can focus on all of the behavioral elements in addition to great content that are going to make sure that our content is used and engaged with by every member of the family. And so we choose to do the latter because we think that 
the tool and the behavioral elements and the nudges and the and the gamification and the you know white hat and black hat gaming rules we think all of those are just as important as the content and that's where we want to focus on a whole solution not just half of the solution yeah that makes perfect sense uh, yeah i mean focus and, and having holistic providing the holistic solution uh, makes a ton of sense thank you very much absolutely thank you for your question sean simi over to you i did put you on mute so you'll have to come off mute Hey, thank you, Ambika, for including me in this call. Let me start off by saying thank you, Tanya. You have taken up a big responsibility from all of the parents who are now not going to have to focus on bringing up financial literacy as one of their responsibilities. Thank you for taking care of that. I did have a question specifically on youngsters who are opening up, let's say, accounts with banks where do they do have an account where which is already merged with their parents so that parents have a lot of control i see that you have a lot of learning opportunity and conditioning going on with this with youngsters so that this would help them in future become more financially responsible but have you thought of maybe joining hands with big banks so that you could be part of you know junior accounts or have something um, with banks across you know america that's a great question. Thank you much, so much for that question, Simi. And uh, yes, absolutely. So our model with banks and financial institutions is twofold. Number one, they can offer Goal Setter as an employee benefit to their employees. But number two, they can white label Goal Setter for the kids of their current customers. And that's such a powerful implementation because then it ensures that those kids are becoming, as an example, let's just say U.S. bank customers <laughs> when, when yes. they're young. Yes. <laughs> and, and that we are helping then the bank to really bring in and cultivate that next generation of customers. So they don't have to go out and find a next suite of customers in, in 18 years or in 20 years. They've got the next suite of customers. On average, every you know parent in this country has two kids. When we bring in the next generation, you got an opportunity to double your pipeline of customers by get, bringing both of their kids into the pipeline. And so, yes, absolutely. We think that's a really important part of our strategy, but also part of the strategy for banks in this country. Yeah, I, th I think that's a, such a, a good point, Tanya, that you're making. And, and not only from, you know, thinking about future customers, that's an important part of it. But I also think you had touched on this earlier, you know, getting kids and, and parents too to, to begin to think about the transformation from simply savings to investing. Like that's the blueprint for building wealth. Like you don't have to be part of the message in this is, you know, when we talk about building wealth in this country, I mean, so many people have the misperception is that you have to be rich to have wealth. And it's simply not true. And particularly communities of color where, you know, the, the images of, you know, people who have wealth, they're just, they're just not present. And I think this notion of how do you educate them early and start to get them to think about why wealth is such an important thing. And so, it's not only from a customer perspective, but getting them into the financial system and into the mindset of financial health, which is one of the critical social determinants of health overall, is financial. And, you know, I think that's the larger 
you know, point here. It's like, how do you just help people live much healthier lives in this notion of having a sound financial understanding from a very early age is, is critical later in life in so many ways. Absolutely. Great. Thank you, Simi. Heather, over to you if you want to also introduce yourself and then share your thoughts. Yeah, sure. So my name is Heather Warner and I actually work for MX. I am loving this session today. This is like singing to my heart. I just got off of a an International Women's Day event yesterday at MX. And, you know, so I, and I'm, I'm very passionate about diversity and inclusion. And, and actually, I wanted to share something before we get into the questions, because Greg kind of touched on this. But we had a speaker yesterday, her name is Jen Bolivar from Suncoast Credit Union. Mm -hmm. And as we were prepping her for kind of the panel discussions, we were talking about the issue around like how especially the banking industry is is so dominated by by males and white males right mm -hmm. and one of the things that she was saying is i challenge each of you whether it's you're looking for an investment or you're looking to hire someone she goes you know the whole conversation around you know who's the most qualified is very is very <laughs> subjective and so she goes i would say that usually the person that's the most qualified for either the investment or the job that you're hiring for is the one who is has that is the most different from you because that's going to round yes. out your team that's going to round out your investment portfolio they yes. think differently and they're going to bring different things to the table because they have such a different background so it was something mm -hmm. that i walked away with thinking like that's powerful and i i would love to pass that on because i would love for more people to think that way so anyways great job mm -hmm. leading into my question so i'm a mother of three and I actually currently use the Green Life app for my children. And it's you know, not too late for you, Heather. It's not, not too late for you. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna talk ill about it. It's it's my first time using an app like this. But I would love to hear more about. Uh, it, it doesn't have any of the educational components, so it's it's been just more of a an ease and getting them used to using a debit card. But I'd love mm -hmm. to hear more about like what the different functionalities are outside of the education components, which I think is fascinating. And I'll just leave with like a, you know, one last thing that I am a U.S. bank customer. So if you need to expand your beta testing pool to beta to, to U.S. bank customers, I, I've got you. So uh, I love it. I, I love that. it. We're coming, we're coming for you. Thank you I for love your it. business yeah. too, by the way. Absolutely. And Heather, I'll, I'll certainly take you up on that. So Heather, so what are our, what do we have that most of our competitors don't? More, I mean, I, I don't want to say all and be blanket, but I'll be fairly blanket. Okay, so let me start with number one. We are for every age kid. And so what that means is that between zero and seven years old, we see 17% of the, the kids on our platform falling in that age range. What does that mean? It means they actually have their first savings account. So we have never ever been, hey, with a debit card for kids, with a debit card for kids, with a debit card for kids. Because the truth of the matter is we think that just handing kids a debit card is a myopic way to think about financial wellness and it's probably actually detrimental. It's not just, you shouldn't be just giving them a spending vehicle when we wanna turn kids from consumers into savers and investors. So the saving and investing components are important and the financial education is important. So number one, we're their first savings account. Number two, we have goal cards instead of gift cards that family members can give and friends. 
So when you get a goal setter account, your kids will each have a personalized link similar to Venmo or Cash App. You can send that around to family members and friends. And now their favorite auntie can pick a piece of artwork, a digital card from our uh, app. It can say happy birthday. It can say you're great. You did a great job. You got good grades. I mean, we have lots of different cards. You can upload or favorite auntie can upload a photo, a video or a GIF. They can choose how much they want to give, which kids, which goals of that kid they want to support. They can ship that off. When the kid gets it, they get a digital uh, experience where confetti flies down, the card opens up. They see their auntie's video saying, I'm so sorry I couldn't be there for your birthday, but auntie loves you. Happy fifth birthday. Happy 10th birthday. Here's $50 towards your dreams. And so gifting becomes something that's a real experience and not just hey, I'm going to send you 20 bucks and I'm going to cash up you because it's your birthday, right? So that's the second thing. The third thing is we have allowance features, but we know that every uh, family does allowance differently. So we actually have three allowance features. One is set it and forget it. So that's your 10 years old, you get $10 a week. Number two is you're on payroll. That's your 10 years old. You're not seeing that $10 until you do these five chores because you're on payroll. And number three is entrepreneur in the making, which is here are 10 chores. You eat what you kill. Each one is worth a different mm -hmm. amount. You do two of them, you get paid for two. You do eight of them, you get paid for eight. We also have something called Family Circle. So your family members can actually sign up for roundups or autosave and automatically contribute to your kids' goals, which is great for grandmas. It's great for that favorite aunt or uncle or godparent, and it's great for all of them. You can also do the same thing. So you can do roundups and autosave from your U.S. bank account and automatically save towards your kids' goals. You can hide goals so you can save towards their college fund and they can't see it on their account. We also have gamification. So we have what's called a credit score as opposed to a credit score. And so every time your kid takes a financial education quiz, they get a one point towards their credit score for every quiz question they get right. We have learn to earn. And so your kids can actually learn or earn money for every quiz question they get right and you designate how much they earn. So you can say, I'm gonna pay them a quarter for every quiz question they get right or I'm gonna pay them a dollar. And when you pay them, uh, or I'm sorry, when they take that quiz, they have to score eight, nine or 10 in order to open up next week's quiz. And so if they don't score eight, nine or 10, they can take this week's quiz as many times as they want until they score eight, nine or 10 and open up the next week's quiz. We've already talked about learn before you burn, which is gonna freeze their card, their debit card, if they haven't taken their financial education quiz for the week. Our investment accounts come with education embedded in the account. So if there are terms they don't understand, they click on a video and up pops the little TikTok or a play button and up pops that little TikTok video. So I'm sure we have more, but hopefully that gives you some indication <laughs> of why we talk about the fact that we are the super app for families. And then the final thing that I'll just say, Heather, is we're a really fun and engaging experience. We do have many customers who have come from other places and they say, my kids just really love this. This doesn't feel like a traditional bank. My kids like to be on places like YouTube and TikTok. And this feels like it is more of a place that kids would be and kids would want to be. And that nuance makes it different. I mean, you know, we, we have people begging to for their parents to get, let them have financial education. And I don't think you've ever seen that in this country where kids are begging for financial mm -hmm. education because mm -hmm. of every detail that we put into our user experience. That's awesome. I mean, my kids would probably beg for that with the gamification. So I love that component. So yeah, great work. I'm excited to uh, see it. And 
like I said, I'm definitely one of your beta testers and probably customers. So, <laughs> well, I love it. Let's do it. We would love for you to try it out. And please feel free to send me a message because okay, I'd love to great. hear your feedback. Yeah. So we're technically over time, two minutes over. Can you guys, Greg and Tanya, can you guys stay two, five minutes extra? We still have two more questions on stage. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So awesome. Over to you. Tell us where you are, where you're dialing in from, and then share your question or thoughts. Thank you. And, and thank you, Tanya and Greg as well. So my name is Asim. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. So I am a engineering manager and a father of two very young kids. But when, when I had my first daughter, I set up a account with one of the providers with what we call ASG here, essentially as a fund for the college education. And I'm kind of now a non-believer non -believer in these apps and all these programs, mainly because I looked at my account last time and, you know, I have less money than what I had deposited. If I was to put that into bank account, I would probably have more money. So I just don't understand how this works. I can't draw it early as well. And I looked at other options in the banks and it's all about creating a bank account and all the sort of things. So thank you for bringing this into the picture. Uh, I hope you know it, it works really great. Uh, my question, I'll keep it short. I looked at your website, tried to sign up. It only allows US numbers. So my question is, when, the, when is this coming to Australia? Oh, that's a great question, Asim. I'm sorry, because right now, you know, we are working with the US bank on our back end so that all of the signups have to be United States only. But I have to tell you, we have absolutely gotten requests from Australia and Europe and South America. And it is my sincere hope that we can conquer the US and then move on to other places. We don't have a timeline for it now, but we hear the same concerns nationwide, I mean, worldwide rather. This is not an American only problem. This is a people problem. This is, you know, what we have done overall you know, in our, in our world, we haven't taught financial education. So I will say, I don't know when we're going to get there, but I certainly hope that we are going to get there. All right. Waiting for it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. And the last question goes to Anton. Hi, welcome. The floor is yours. Hi, hi, Tanya. My name is Anton Ferrando. I also work at US Bank. I'm a engineering leader here. You know, again, congratulations on creating an awesome app that kind of deals with financial problems across the financial maturity spectrum. You know, I was just going through your website and it looks like you, 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 learn, it about, you learn about financial maturity by doing it, right? That's great, I think. As you scale, as you move out of your pilot phase into scaling your company, how are you thinking about it, right? Because I have a 13-year-old and she goes to the Chicago Public School and this app looks like a great experience for you know, financial institutions, especially when they're onboarding children, right? Like, you know, schools, universities, you know, e even recommendations, peer-to-peer -peer recommendations. So I just wanted to hear a little bit about how you are thinking about scaling your customer base as you move from pilot to, uh, you know, fully flushed out company. Yeah. Anton, let me tell you, anyone who's on US Bank's team, I feel like they're automatically a part of team goal setter. But <laughs> but you clearly yes. have already displayed that that you know <laughs> to the next level because uh, just yesterday we were on the phone with a a chancellor of one of the largest public school systems in the country. I won't say which one, but we are having very robust conversations with them. 
yesterday, earlier in the day, I got a call from an executive at a college who said, we want to give Goal Setter to every one of the freshmen at our college and sponsor them for four years of their college experience. So yes, yes, and yes. I mean, you know, this is such the right time for partnerships with any organization that touches people who need financial wellness. And, yeah. so and, and so we found that everywhere. Yeah, and also incentivizing a customer base, right? Like if, you know, I'm mm-hmm. going to definitely sign up my daughter for, uh, you know, to goal setter. And uh, if she has a very large customer base on her phone and uh, she has a lot of friends in her age group. And I'm thinking that, you know, creating incentives for recommendations within those age groups will be really helpful as well to get yeah. the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Nope, you're 100% right, Anton. You're 100% right. And we have absolutely done some of some of that. And so, you know, when you get into the app, you will be able to see that you can refer a friend and earn money for referring a friend. So we definitely have uh, that in the app. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Well, that's it for today. I'll let Greg and Tanya, you both have any closing remarks that you guys want to make. We'll start with Greg. You know, the only thing I, I, I would say is, first of all, thank you. It was a real pleasure to be on. And Obviously, the, the goal setter story and Tanya's personal story is, is one that is very near and dear to my heart. But as I said you know, previously, I, I don't see this as a DEI initiative. I see this as an imperative for um, us educating a whole generation of young people about the importance of building wealth. And a huge part of that is understanding how money works, how investing works, and really fully participating in the, in the economy in a way that will benefit their families and our communities for generations. So our partnership as Goal Setter is one of the one of the partnerships I'm most proud of in the work that we're, we've done under the Access Commitment. And I would encourage all of you to just check us out and hold us accountable. We're actually going to be publishing a theory of change in our, our ESG report later this summer, which will include all of our metrics around how we plan to measure our progress in the in the social impact space and so we'll be able to hold ourselves and you'll be able to hold us accountable to making progress and this partnership is just another proof point of how we're going about that work so thanks for your time this evening i appreciate it being with you and uh, you know ditto look ambika monisha this has been such a pleasure thank you for the work that you do here and for featuring our voice as a part of this conversation but you know the the second thing that I just want to say is thank you to U.S. Bank and to Greg and and all of his team for embracing Goal Setter in the way that you have, and not just embracing Goal Setter, but embracing change in the way that you have. This pilot for us represented the voices of the people. It was the people at U.S. Bank that said this is something that we want to vet right? We want to see whether or not we want this for ourselves as employees, whether or not we might like this for customers. And that's all any of us ever wants. Any of us, you know, all of us only want the opportunity to be judged on our merit and to have our work stand for itself. And that's what U.S. Bank gave us the opportunity for. So thank you to U.S. Bank and to every employee who has been a part of our pilot and trial to every employee who has supported us, and particularly to Greg Cunningham and Maxine Swain and Carrie and you know all of the, the wonderful team members who have been a part of this journey. Thank you so much.
So much love for US Bank. I love it. Well, thank you, Tanya and Greg, for you know showcasing to us how to fix structural problems in the United States. You know, I'm not a professional in the DEI space, but I have my own views on what we should do in the country. But you are demonstrating together big institutions, small fintech coming together to actually have material change in the country. So it's been very inspirational to have you both here on the show. So thank you for your time. Absolutely. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. If you like the discussion, we welcome you to join us during our live shows every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. We'd be delighted to have you there. You can also find other episodes on all major podcasting platforms, such as Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd appreciate if you could leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Until next week, be safe. Thank you.